Welcome to Ask Peggy About Your Finances, because prosperity is so much more than money. Brought to you by writer, speaker, and certified financial planner, Peggy Doviak. Thank you to Voices of Oklahoma, KVOY 104.5 FM, for the opportunity to share my ideas. Thank you also to Sports Talk 1400 in Norman for production and studio assistance. Hello, and welcome to the Ask Peggy About Your Finances show. My name is Peggy Doviak, and I'm a certified financial planner practitioner. This is a show for you, to help you understand the stock market and why it's going up or down, to help you understand new legislation that's out there that might impact your finances, to explain financial planning concepts, so when someone talks about something, you know what they're referring to. And then finally, in the last section, the Ask Peggy section, that's your opportunity to send a question to me. You can send that to my website, askpeggy.com, or you can go to the Facebook page, Ask Peggy, and you can leave questions there, and then I may reach out to you and be able to answer them on the air. So let's get started with the Bulls and Bears Market and Economic Update. This is for the week ending November 30th, 2018. And it was a great week in the market after some not-so-good weeks. Last week, the Dow went up a little over 5%. The S&P 500 went up 4.85%. The NASDAQ went up a little more than 5.5%. Gold was down just a tiny bit at negative 0.15%, and oil finally stopped sliding last week, and it closed up 0.65%. So what happened? In two words, the answer is Jerome Powell. And Jerome Powell is the chairman of the Federal Reserve, and I've talked about him a lot on the show. I've talked about how much I like how clear he is, how easy it, he is to understand, how he did a very good job laying out his plan for raising interest rates through the beginning of 2020. <laughs> Unfortunately, or perhaps fortunately for the market, this week he sort of tipped that apple cart on its side and went off in a direction no one expected. You know no one expects that when the market just shoots up, because remember, markets anticipate. So when you get market reaction, then you know this was unanticipated. And where he's always been very, very, very clear in the past, really precise in his explanations, this one was pretty vague. He made a statement where the short, translated by me version is, yeah, things look pretty good, and, and we're pretty close to where I wanted to be, so I, I think we're good. And it was like, wow, where did the preciseness go? Well, my opinion, my opinion only, I haven't really heard this anywhere else. I think he was saving his job last week. Remember that President Trump has been very, very critical of Jerome Powell, very critical of the rising interest rate environment, putting the entire totality of the stock market decline on Jerome Powell's back. And I really was getting afraid that it was probably only a matter of time until he got fired. I don't want Jerome Powell to get fired. I really like Jerome Powell. So did his actions last week tie to what he said before? No. Are his actions last week indicative of where he thinks things are? You know, I'm not sure. 
the reason I'm not sure is I didn't think he was quite as specific as he had been before. If he is actually simply saying what he thinks, what that tells me is that our economy has actually slowed a lot over the last quarter to six months, because the only thing that would cause him to think the economy wasn't overheating is if the economy wasn't overheating. So he was either kind of buying a little time, taking off some heat, really, truly, whether the Fed raises a quarter of a percent this month or not doesn't make a bit of difference. But by keeping him in the position, he can always do a rate increase later on in the spring, in January or February. It, it was reaching kind of a fevered pitch of criticism. So it didn't mess up our economy by his not doing it. If he really was saying what he thought, that's not a great sign for the economy. So I think we need to take this interest rate, uh, this interest rate stability kind of with a grain of salt because I would really prefer our economy be firing on all cylinders and go ahead and take the quarter percent raise than leave things where they are because things aren't doing as well. Now, to complicate it a little bit further, and maybe giving a little more evidence to what I think is going on, over the weekend, now I tape on Monday, so this would have been at the G20 summit that happened just the last couple of days. Apparently, China and the United States made an informal truce, if you will, to the trade war because the trade war really has been hurting a lot of American industries, especially things like soybeans, you know, random things we don't think of. So there is a truce, supposedly. You know, this is Monday, December 3rd when I'm taping this, so there may not be a truce by the 4th, but there is a truce today. Now, that might gin up the economy again and cause things to start going up, which really could then support another interest rate increase in January or February. What I know is I'm not quite as confident in what I think is going to happen next as I was going up to when we had this sudden um, shift in our rate policy. So I will keep up with things. I will let you know what's going on as they occur. And hopefully everything will rock along as we want it to. Thank you to Voices of Oklahoma, KVOY 104.5 FM, for the opportunity to share my ideas. Thank you also to Sports Talk 1400 in Norman for production and studio assistance. Welcome back to the legislative update of the Ask Peggy About Your Finances show. So we have several things that we want to talk about today. Um, sort of interesting, and some of them are continuing stories. Remember that the SEC and um, Securities and Exchange Commission and the Department of Labor are going to both be putting out advice standards next year. So right now the goal is for them to come out in about September of 2019, possibly earlier. There's been some criticism of some of the proposals so far that they don't go far enough from those of us who think that people are required, should be required to act as fiduciaries when they have your money. There's some issues with some of the um, disclosure material. It seems right now like one of the goals, rather than actually requiring that someone act in your best interest, is that you give them pages of disclosure explaining that you aren't. 
You know, the problem with that, A, nobody reads it. And now, granted, that is on the consumer. I understand if I tell you that something is poisonous and you drink it, it, it is sort of up to you. But again, my opinion is it's really a setup system designed to make you think that the person that you're sitting across the desk from is acting in your best interest. I, I really still believe the consumer understanding that a financial representative does not necessarily owe you acting in your best interest isn't widely understood. And the problem with the disclaimers that they've come out with so far is people don't understand them. They've even been giving them to test groups to look at and say, you know, what does this say? And the, the, the normal people are saying, we don't know what this says. So, you know, hopefully they'll clear this up. Hopefully by the time they come out with a standard, it will be a little bit more transparent than it is right now. Hopefully with a little bit more oversight in the financial world, there will be an encouragement for things to be more clear. Now, I don't actually think that Congress has to vote on some of this. They may. You know, a lot of times it gets confusing with what can go through as a regulation without Congress, what actually is a law passed by Congress. I know that with Maxine Waters dealing with the financial services industry, anything that has to go through Congress is going to hit a roadblock if it isn't seen as being in the client's best interest, because that is one of her goals and one of the things that she finds important is making sure that consumers think that their finance or know that their financial advisor is acting in their best interest and that the advisor is actually doing it. Why do these things matter? Why, why is this such a big deal? Well, I want to tell you a story and I don't want to use the name of the company. But there is a major financial firm that is coming under criticism, criticism by its own representatives because the reps, the brokers, get paid money when um, there's assets being held, obviously. And they also, this financial organization does debt. So they, they'll loan money, you know, and, and that could be practically everybody. Everyone has this system but in this particular case, if there is a loan made, the financial advisor gets a percentage of the loan interest that's paid back on the loan. I actually didn't know they did that. So that was news to me. I don't know if that's true across the board. I know it's true in this one case. And then also the financial advisor gets paid for having assets at the firm. So what this is leading to is financial advisors not recommending to clients that they pay off debt because the financial advisor is getting paid off of the debt. They're getting paid off of the assets being held there. Worse, the company isn't encouraging them to have their clients pay off debt. So you know, that's absolutely not acting in a client's best interest. And some of the advisors of the firm are saying, hey, wow, this isn't right. So it's a big deal. So what you end up with then is a group that makes a loan and the person who makes the loan makes money. And then obviously the organization that issues the loan makes the money, they make the interest. And then they also do the investments. And so the advisor gets money from making the investments and the firm makes money. And so what this is doing is nobody is trying to get the consumers out of debt. Now, I'm not debt crazy. 
I actually don't care a bit if you've got a mortgage on your primary home and you can afford it and you have one mortgage and it's not crazy and you didn't buy too much house, you didn't buy a McMansion. If you bought a house that you can afford to make the house payments on and you figured out your repayment schedule, I don't care if you have that debt. You know, if you've got a car and you're having to make car payments, I don't care if you have that debt, again, as long as you've been prudent and everything. But the truth of the matter is debt's awful. And so you don't want to have debt that you don't have to have. And when the people who have given you the debt and are holding your investments, so probably acting as your financial advisor, you probably don't have money one place and have a financial planner somewhere else who's giving you unbiased advice. A few people have that model. Most people don't. And so you get a system where you're not being encouraged at all to get out of debt. Well, shoot, I would always encourage you to get out of debt if you could. It doesn't make any sense to me to have you stay in debt, but this is a really screwed up system. So why do we need to require financial services companies to act in their client's best interest? Because of stuff like this. And I think it's important, and I think I will continue to talk about it. I will let you know as things change. Thank you to Voices of Oklahoma, KVOY 104.5 FM, for the opportunity to share my ideas. Thank you also to Sports Talk 1400 in Norman for production and studio assistance. Welcome back to the Plan Your Prosperity segment of the Ask Peggy About Your Finances show. Usually in this section of the show, the information comes from something I've either written or it's been in my book or something where I really own all of the rights to anything I'm saying, or it's just general information that doesn't need to be cited. This week, however, I need to give um, credit, and you need to know this isn't coming from me. This is coming from PNC Financial Services Group, and this is the annual cost of the 12 days of Christmas. Now, PNC has been doing this for 35 years, and they started out tracking the costs of the 12 days of Christmas, just as kind of a fun thing to do. It shows inflation. Of course, it's a very specialized inflation if you think about the gifts that are being given, but it was something they were able to provide to people. It actually started by their predecessor, Provident National Bank in Philadelphia, and then PNC Financial Services Group took it over. You can find a link to this site if you'll go to the Ask Peggy Facebook page. If you're listening to this as a podcast, you'll find the link in the summary of the podcast. And if you're downloading the radio show, you'll find the link in that material as well. So I want to be really clear that this, this piece of the show is not mine. It's PNC's. They do a great job, but it's just way too fun not to share it to you. So... Let's talk a little bit about what they're doing. They take the price of the 12 days of Christmas and they include the fuel within the cost of the gifts. Now, this is interesting because CPI, the Consumer Price Index, which is the real inflation rate of the real goods and services you're probably buying this month rather than giving your your true love the 12 days of Christmas, 
They also exclude fuel as an outside measure and instead choose to build the cost of the shipping into the item. So when you're looking at CPI, pure fuel cost movement isn't included. It's also not included here. So I think that that's sort of fun that they took the time to do that. I think it's also really important as you're looking at CPI to remember that when you go to fill your car with gas and it costs more or it costs less, that direct consumption of fuel isn't included in inflation. So they calculate this number two different ways. The first is the core index, which is excluding the swans. And they exclude the swans because the swans are the most price volatile part of the 12 days of Christmas. So without the swans this year, if you give, you sing the song, you give those gifts, you give $25,969.93 to give all of the gifts as listed. If you include the swans, your gift costs $39,094.93 because who knew that seven swans of swimming cost $13,125, which means if you're thinking about asking your true love for swans this year, you need to be sure they can afford it because swans are going for a lot of money. So, $39,094.93, including the swans, because they really do make the holiday. That is up 1.2% from last year, which is interesting because that's actually noticeably lower than what inflation has been running in the United States, which has been much closer to 2%. So the cost of the 12 days of Christmas is not inflating as much as the cost of everything else we're doing. Now, you know when you sing the song and it becomes a, almost like a rhyme, so you have a partridge in a pear tree and then two calling birds and a partridge in a pear tree. So if you were to give every single time you mentioned a gift, it costs $170,609.46. No one would do that. And besides, that isn't really how the song is designed it's designed to just give those gifts once for the period between um, Christmas and, um, and oh, what is the term? What, when the three kings come. Anyhow, that term will come to me. I'm not going to start this section over. Epiphany. It's between Christmas and Epiphany. So you give the gifts and you give them once and you would not turn around and give the day one gift again on day two. So really, you're out $39,000, not 170000 so let's look at what's going on with some of these items. Partridges and pear trees are pretty flat from last year. Um, it costs $220 and is up 0.1%. Um, three French hens are going for exactly what they were last year. There's no inflation in French hens, $181. Gold is down this year, so the five gold rings are actually down 9.1%. The swimming swans are the same price that they've been for three years at 13000 Because there have dance companies have not been giving raises, the nine ladies dancing is $7,552.84. That's how they determine what the price is, is they 
go for the cost of how much would it cost if you went to a dance studio and you got nine ladies dancing. 11 Pipers Piping, $2,804, so up 3.5%. I'm just realizing I read this in odd order. So we've got two turtle doves are stable. Four calling birds are stable. Six geese a laying went up 8.3%. 10 lords a leaping, which is the price of, of like circus and trapeze work, it's up 2%. And drummers are up 3.5%. So in general, everything is pretty flat. With, with no surprise, the birds are the most stable part of this index. And unfortunately, the birds are probably what your true love wants the least. There are a few little fun tidbits on this site that I'm going to share with you. Um, I think possibly the most interesting one to me is the four calling birds Four calling birds were probably originally collie birds, C-O-L-L-Y, and that was an old term for a blackbird, which it makes sense because everything else is kind of named by what it is, and suddenly you have four calling birds, and we don't usually think of birds as calling, so it's probably collie birds. So if you love your true love, you're going to give her four blackbirds. Five golden rings probably wasn't originally designed to be gold. When you think about the gifts, it's very agricultural and very sort of sort of middle class if you think about it. And then suddenly you're giving five golden rings. It's probably referring to five golden ringed pheasants which makes sense, more sense than trying to get someone to suddenly give this huge gift of gold in the middle of all of these gifts of birds. So it's probably five golden ringed pheasants. So that's, that's the most interesting parts of where the story comes from. There is just one last piece since, since I decided we'd go all out and really learn all about the 12 days of Christmas. The question becomes, where does the song come from? It's kind of a peculiar song. And there's been a lot of different articles written about it. And I had heard for quite a while that it had it was kind of like religiously symbolic, that the different 12 days of Christmas referred to different religious symbols in the Christian faith. Well, I did an awful lot of reading and it doesn't look like that's true. Now, if you want to believe that that's true, I am not going to stop you because who knows why they do this. But it was more likely French than English, for starters, because of the kinds of gifts that were being given. And it also was more likely a memory game, just a fun song that you sang at the holidays, kind of like telephone or somebody says a word and then you add a word to it and then that next person has to say both words and add a word. More like that rather than actually having some deep spiritual significance or deep significance any other way. It was just a fun way of um, trying to see if you could remember everything in the song. And if you listened really closely to this show, you will remember I got something wrong. In addition to giving you the odd numbered days and then the even numbered days, I actually got 
a number wrong in the song. And so if you want, go on to my Facebook page if you can find it and let me know what I said because I'm not going to tell you it's not a big deal. But I think more likely than having a deep significance, it was just a fun holiday game. We still like the song. There's obviously something appealing about the concept of your true love giving you a ridiculous assortment of gifts. And I suspect that even though it would have been seen as being prosperous back at the time it was originally written, I'm sure that even then people wouldn't have known what to do in most circumstances with this much stuff, even if your true love really loves you. So if you have a true love, think a couple of times. First, it will be very expensive to give him or her this series of gifts. Second, you might make sure they really like birds. And third, possibly a surprise here is not your best holiday plan, but feel free to do what you want. Thank you to Voices of Oklahoma, KVOY 104.5 FM, for the opportunity to share my ideas. Thank you also to Sports Talk 1400 in Norman for production and studio assistance. Welcome back to the Ask Peggy segment of the Ask Peggy About Your Finances show. So after our last 12 days of Christmas, this last section is really important. It's something you need to know. You need to talk to your financial advisor. You need to talk to your CPA. And you've got to do it before the end of the year. Remember, the Tax Cuts and Jobs Act does not stop you from being able to deduct charitable donations. In fact, actually, it goes up to 60%. The problem arises that most people don't make donations in excess of the standard deduction amount. So if you're single, the standard deduction is $12,000. If you're married filing jointly, it's twenty-four. Many people aren't itemizing their deductions this year, which means that they're not able to take a charitable donation and deduct it. It actually has nothing to do with the deductibility. It has everything to do with how much you're actually already getting in deductions. But there is a very clever system if you are over 70 and a half and you need to take a required minimum distribution, you can actually make that distribution directly to the charity. Now, it doesn't create a deduction per se for you, but it does lower the amount of income that you have to report so that by giving the RMD, required minimum distribution, to the charity, then that money goes to them. If you took the money yourself, you would have to pay taxes on it. And if you take the money yourself and you um, give the gift to charity and you don't have enough to deduct, then it doesn't work. So if you still need to take your RMD, your required minimum distribution, you need to talk about doing a qualified charitable donation, a QCD. Now, there's a couple of wrinkles here on the practical side. The first thing is you need to make sure that your charity qualifies and that it's not a private foundation. Typically, um, your charity needs to be a 501c3, but you need to look into the details of that specifically with what you're trying to do. 
Additionally, you need to call the charity and talk to them about it because a lot of charities have no idea this even exists. In fact, I was talking to a charity this week. I'm going to go in and talk at a fundraiser for them because the charity didn't know that this was possible. So make sure of that. Make sure if you're doing it that the charity knows that it's coming. Try to find out from the custodian whether, or the custodian, the person who holds your money, whether or not they list that it's from you. You can always justify it in an audit by getting a copy of the check, but you'll want to be working with the charity. If it's a small charity, ideally, to getting a copy of their check from from their records and then match it to the check number from your records will solve everything. So there's a few wrinkles and hiccups, but if you're wanting to give a gift to charity and you don't want to pay taxes on your required minimum distribution, this is a great way to do it. Well, I can't believe how fast the show has gone. I will be back next week with more information. In the meantime, stay prosperous. Thank you to Voices of Oklahoma, KVOY 104.5 FM, for the opportunity to share my ideas. Thank you also to Sports Talk 1400 and Norman for production and studio assistance. You may submit personal finance questions to the Ask Peggy Facebook page and learn more at PeggyDoviak.com. And remember, prosperity is so much more than money.